0: Welcome to the LTC University podcast, empowering and educating across the great state of South Carolina. Here we go. Welcome to the LTC University podcast. My name is Jamie Preston, and today, we have two very special guests. We have Karen Mosaleski. She's the director of case management for Trident Health and she oversees all the case managers for Somerville Medical Center and Trident Medical Center here in Charleston, South Carolina. And we also have Paula Mead. Paula is a complex care social worker and she's a case manager for Trident Medical Center. And uh, guys, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you.
2: Thank you.
0: Yeah. Well, today we want to talk about case management. Now, a few years ago, I had no clue that your role ever existed. I had no clue, and, I, and, and I've and i been around the block or two with my parents in the hospital system, never heard of a case manager until, until I moved here, and they may have had a different title, I don't know. But you guys take care of every single patient coming through that's staying at the hospital and making sure that they're taken care of, and that is a huge role and there's so many dynamics to that so first of all though i want you guys karen let's start with you i want you to give me your background and kind of how you got into healthcare and and made it to this role
2: so i have been a nurse for 17 years almost 18 and I started out as an army nurse straight out of college and served on active duty where I was an OR nurse and also a nursery nurse. And then once I came off active duty, worked with Warriors in Transition, which is where I became a case manager and just sort of have come from there Um, and now have been working in case management for about 10 years.
0: Wow. So you've seen a thing or two. A thing or two, and your nursing career definitely. Being in the army and um, yeah, it's that's what a what a great career though.
1: It has. It's been a great career.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And Paula, give us your background.
1: Well, I've been a medical social worker for a little over thirty-five years. I started out in hospice, um, and then became. I've been in between hospice and hospital uh, case ma- case management yeah. for
0: thirty-five years. Wow, so you've mm-hmm. definitely seen seen a thing or two in thirty five years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, today we want to talk about what you guys do, and and so, Karen, give us a give us an overview of what a case manager does
2: or skilled nursing if there's a need past the stay that they're currently in then a case manager will come and do an assessment and work with the patient the family and try to find out how we can assist to get you back to your best quality of life so
0: yeah so you're really following that person from the beginning when they get here Correct. To pass when they're making sure that they have everything they need before they leave the hospital. Correct.
2: We're yeah. we are really working with them to get them to the next best level of care, whether that be home or to the next facility.
0: Yeah, cuz a hospital stay is not cheap. Correct. So you you don't want them to stay in the hospital too long.
2: Correct and plus as we all know hospitals are full of sick people so we yeah. want to get well people out of here as quickly as possible right. and back to home. I have a lot of patients that have told me over the years I don't get any sleep here and I really feel like patients heal best at home or where they're surrounded by friends and family Absolutely. so we really work hard to get them home or back to where you know they're with family and friends as quickly as yeah, possible
0: anytime my dad ever stayed in the hospital he always said they wake you up to give you a sleeping pill so it's very true (laughs) yeah so it's definitely better you know it is and who wants to stay in a hospital correct yeah correct so let's let's jump into that assessment and if you want to take this paula and talk about that assessment when they first get here what are you guys looking for
1: well we have criteria to see a patient once that criteria is met
0: and what is that criteria?
1: I want to answer that one, Karen.
2: So we typically see patients who have a lot of comorbid chronic illnesses, and some of those include diabetes, diabetes. Um, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, congestive heart failure, um, patients who are just not doing well, um, Medicare patients, anyone over 65 generally falls into that category because unfortunately when we hit a certain age, we start to have more than one system breakdown. And and often we also have a lot of needs um, for... Durable medical equipment, or right. oxygen, or needing help with things in the home.
0: Right. Absolutely. We so,
2: we also see unfunded patients as mm-hmm. well, because again, there's a lot of needs uh, for resources in the community as right. well.
0: Absolutely. So so Paula, keep go into that assessment, and mm-hmm. you know now that we know the criteria to get mm-hmm. into that assessment, go into that assessment. Mm-hmm.
1: So we'll go talk with the patient and or family or both. Uh, depending on if the patient's able to talk or not. Um, and we'll assess what their situation, what they're coming from from home, what their support system is, um, what their financial picture is, what their insurance is. Um, and then we work with a medical team to see what the next best level is going to be for them.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, whether it be home, home with home health, home with durable equipment, to a nursing home for short-term rehab, acute, yeah. post-acute rehab. Right. Um, hospice. mm mm-hmm and everything in between
0: yeah so it's not that's not a simple task there's so many things to that you have to have resources you have to have so many things as you're assessing you know you know are you looking for frequent flyers
2: often and that's usually an indicator that a patient um Possibly doesn't understand what we have sent them out with before. Um, Possibly doesn't have the resources to get needed medications. Possibly doesn't have transportation to get to a physician's office as scheduled. Um, I've had, cases where families said that they would take care of, you know, helping out grandma, grandpa, and then come to find out that that family member didn't do, you know, what they said right. they were going to do.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, sometimes people just get sicker and, mm-hmm. and it's just unfortunate and they return and there can be a lot of reasons. And that's another reason why we do our assessments. We find patients who have been readmitted and try to figure out the why.
0: Yeah. So uh, a lot of times I'm sure people can abuse kind of the system because a hospital is not meant for everybody, you know. Obviously, you have an emergency. You're, you're really sick. You want to go to the hospital. You, you need that level of care. But describe kind of those things that people probably, eh, this probably wasn't the best thing. You probably should have went to your primary care doctor. What does a situation like that look like?
2: Well, unfortunately, I think that and I don't know if it's based on society or what is happening today in America, but I think that a lot of people will come not because they don't have an emergency and they're using the emergency room for primary care what we see here in this area is is that families are taking care of elderly loved ones and they get to a point where they don't know what else to do right. they are stressed you know they're taking care of possibly younger children at the mm-hmm. same time and they're taking care of older relatives right. and they no longer know how to care for that they don't have the resources they don't have you know possibly the financial resources and so right. a lot of what we'll see is patients who come in and their families are in crisis and they just come to the ER and say we don't know what to do fix it
0: yeah and so I'm sure there's a lot of tension hmm mm-hmm. there's probably a lot of you know family dynamics you know how do you guys navigate that best what's some of the things you work with Paula on dealing with those things
1: well I think the reality of what we can do from a hospital um, is one of the things we have to present, and, and what their insurances will cover and what they won't cover. Mm. You know, we do. I, we do get people that, that come to the ER in a in a family crisis, and we have to figure out what we can and cannot do, yeah. and have that discussion with the family.
0: Which is challenging.
1: It's challenging, and it can bring on a lot of anger because sometimes we just don't have an answer.
0: Right, and you're just the, the messenger. ER. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Correct being kind of the voice of reason I'm sure that's it can be very difficult um dealing with that at times yeah
1: just keeping your calm when you're talking to them
0: no matter what's going on yeah keep the calm going for sure Mm -hmm. Karen as you're leading your team what are some of the things you guys are doing training and and helping with those kind of things and making sure that people you know your team has the right resources because that's tough sometimes you can get in a pretty good pickle you know and then you got to be careful what you say what you don't say you know all those things
2: it is it's very difficult and we come from a background obviously where we want to help patients we want to help families a lot of us do case management because we came from situations in our own families and backgrounds where you know someone helped us and we're paying it forward so to speak or paying it back and we do a lot of training um, you know as nurses and social workers We're required by our respective boards To have training and then as a department we do have staff meetings every other week and we try to make sure that we bring in community resources to talk about everything that is out there everything that's out there that insurance will cover as well as everything that's out there that families you know may have to private pay for yeah
0: Which can be really expensive.
2: Which can be really expensive. And I think that that's probably one of the saddest things that we see is that a lot of people that come in don't really truly understand their Medicare benefits or even their private pay insurance benefits.
0: Right. So when somebody, they come in, you do your assessment and trying to get them out of the hospital to the next level of care. What's your biggest challenge with that?
2: So we work on multidisciplinary teams, and we have daily meetings. We also have weekly meetings with our um, CMO, our chief medical officer, and it basically looks like the team coming together from nutrition, pharmacy, physical therapy, case management, nursing, and, and putting in everybody's perspective on what that patient needs, and then making you know, kind of a, a best guess for what needs to happen and then presenting that to the patient and family and getting their response as to what they feel fits mm-hmm. them best and what they want.
0: Yeah. What do you think the most challenging part of that is, Paula? Finances. Finances.
1: <clears throat> I think it's, it, yeah, the finances and what insurances do and don't cover.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and the private pay issue when the insurances don't cover.
0: Yeah. And that's got to break your heart when mm-hmm. you're, you're like, because you want to help, but you can't, can't do everything
1: yeah it's a very difficult thing to go through with yeah. the families for the families right it really is
0: yeah how do you guys take care of yourself through that because that's stressful
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know you know and a lot of people they take that work home with them they you know it's on their mind they're thinking about that family what are some of the self-care things that you guys do and you practice
2: Well, I always preach self-care because burnout is definitely something that we think a lot about because we're very emotionally invested in caring for others. Um, We get very involved in their family dynamic and in their care. And so my biggest motto is you can't pour from an empty vessel. Um, I don't know that they always take my advice, but we always try to start each meeting with what are you doing to take care of yourself and trying to think about ourselves in some small way every day or every week. What
0: are some of those practical things that you do?
1: For me, it's spirituality. Mm-hmm. Um, it's getting exercise.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's reading my book to escape from reality.
0: Yeah, right. those are
1: the three things that really get me through each yeah. day.
0: And that's that's great. I mean, I think yeah, obviously exercise um, is huge. Mm-hmm. I know, I know for myself, when I don't exercise, I can feel my anxiety go up. You know, when I do exercise, it's mm-hmm. much more manageable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think, too, I think just having something else. So you're changing your mind, getting your mind off of the day-to-day because you you can't keep keep dwelling on that or that's going to drive you crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think those are really good, Paula. I think yeah. that's that's a great little model, I think, that a lot of people could use for sure. So what would you tell the typical person coming to the hospital – you know, about, you know, what they need to know, you know, what does a typical person need to know when they come to the hospital?
2: Know your benefits, Mm. know, have discussions with your physician. Um, advanced directives are very important. Make sure that your family knows, you know, what you want. Um, and, and don't wait until the last minute. Don't wait until you're here, you know, to
1: find yeah. that out. Right.
2: Um,
1: yeah, and unfortunately, though, until you need to know, you don't need mm-hmm. to know. Yeah, you don't know <laughs> until yeah. you need to know. And that, that's where we get
0: caught. So, let, so let's, talk, let's let's talk. dive a little deeper in that and those, those advanced directives because that's, that's huge. And, but people blow them off. They don't want to talk about those things. Right. You think of life insurance before, you know, it used to be called death insurance nobody bought it obviously <laughs> they didn't think they needed it they didn't want to talk about it but everybody has life insurance now you know so talk about advanced care planning why that's so important from your guys's perspective
1: your family needs to know what you mm-hmm. want they do and when you're not in a crisis and fully emotion yeah you know it's nice to know what your loved ones want to have happen in advance to have those conversations. My family and I, we all know what everybody wants and it's probably because of the job I'm in. Mm. That's something we have all done. Um, But unfortunately, it doesn't get done a lot and then when you're in a crisis or the patient can't talk, Mm. then it's up to the family to bear the burden of guessing what the patient might want and that's a huge burden for Mm -hmm. families. And that's what I try to tell my patients you don't want to put this burden of decision on your children. You need to have this conversation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. How does somebody even get started with that?
1: Have a conversation. Mm-hmm. It's it's really as
2: simple as yeah. having a conversation.
0: Right. And then obviously they, they need to get this written down. Correct. You know, is there any resources out there?
2: There's plenty of resources out there and you can, in fact, just type in advanced directives into Google and usually the South Carolina resource will come right up right. physician's offices have copies hospitals do have copies every you know you can find them and print them off right. you can even write them out your, yourself you yeah. know as long as you've had that conversation it makes mm-hmm. it so much easier yeah. even if you have the conversation and then don't do it until you get to the physician's office or the hospital the having the conversation is the hardest part writing right. it down is not the hard part right. it's the knowing in advance and having that conversation
0: right. and what, what are some of those things that they need to know
1: Um, they need to know if you can't talk for yourself who do you want to have talk for you who do you want to have making your decisions Um, do you want life support to go on and on and on and on Mm. Um, do you want feeding tubes do you want resuscitation if your heart stops
2: if you're breathing by mechanical mm -hmm. ventilation how long do you want that to continue Mm
0: -hmm. right yeah so difficult conversations Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. absolutely necessary
1: Absolutely necessary, unless you want your family to be burdened with those guesses.
0: Yeah. So you guys have had many of these cases. You've you've dealt with so many, obviously without naming names. What are some of those things that you've, you know, they could have been different had somebody just had that tough conversation? Because it's a way tougher conversation in the moment.
1: Well, just... Again, getting just back to finances, that also goes into um, directives. People don't even know that. Yeah. If, if mom has minor dementia and she suddenly flips into uh, maximum dementia and all of her accounts are in her name in the bank, they're frozen.
0: Yeah, right.
1: Nobody has access to that money to get her to the next level. Yeah. That's also something you need to talk about, which isn't really
0: in the actual
1: advanced directives, but that's something that needs to be talked about and done. Somebody else, you know, Mm -hmm. having that conversation.
0: Uh So, yeah, that's something that we've done. I have one Mm -hmm. Um, for myself. We we use the five wishes. Um, Obviously, even to go deeper than that, Mm -hmm. I think is, like you said, the financial piece Mm -hmm. is is huge. Um,
2: And my mom was always a firm believer for whatever reason in having somebody on her account she Mm -hmm. always had someone on her bank account and it became a huge thing because when she went from one day being fine to the next day having full-blown dementia with no you know precursor or warning we at least had the ability to make sure that her bills got paid
0: yeah yeah so that's that's a huge thing for you guys when you're dealing with these families you because if it's done you know what to do. Mm-hmm. Right. The decisions made in your guys' job is way easier than and then less stressful. It's still stressful because mm-hmm. it's still a difficult time for a family, obviously.
1: Well, it's nice too when something's been written down, when the person gets to the crisis point of not being able to talk to themselves, let's say they're on a ventilator, and their wishes were to not prolong that and not, okay, try it, see if it works, but if this is going to be me the rest of my life, take me off. That's written down. The mm. family's going, no, 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 don't ever take her off, don't ever take her off. That piece of paper can speak for the patient
0: yeah,
1: and know what the patient really wanted to begin right. with, minus all of the emotion. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: And without any
2: guilt. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest piece. No one wants to be the one who has to live with making that decision. And with that piece of paper in place, no one really is making that decision except for the patient themselves. Right. So,
0: yeah, and that's the way it should be.
2: Exactly. That's exactly the way that it should be. That's what they wanted. And so at the end of the day, everyone can rest easy knowing that that's what they wanted and we're following their wishes.
0: Yeah. So let's let's jump topics here because this is the fun one here um, because this is obviously Medicare. They're, this is their thing right now, and the whole system is readmissions. It's difficult you know like you talked about earlier you know families they don't know what to do maybe it's a financial burden they just show up to the hospital over and over and over again and what are some of the things you guys are doing to to really kind of curb those and try to minimize those because now you're, you're you know the hospitals are getting fined for those things they're losing money because of those readmissions um so what are some of the things you guys are working on
2: So not just the hospitals, but also now our skilled nursing facilities and also our inpatient rehab facilities, everyone is now being looked at, including home health as well for their readmission statistics, because we're seen, you know, as a partnership for making sure that our patients stay well. So a lot of things that we do in the community, you know, we do have a lot of programs where patients are sent to for our congestive heart failure patients. For example, there's a congestive heart failure clinic. There is a program that they're enrolled in called Care Assure. They have navigators who call them at home. You know, they're followed. They have a touch point, you know, a a human being they can call when they have questions. There are a lot of programs now, um, not just here, but everywhere so yeah. that they continue to have someone in the community follow up with them mm-hmm. and a lot of times that's why we try to make sure that patients don't just discharge to home they go home with home health right so that they do have a nurse a social yeah. worker someone to make sure that they are getting what they need
0: yeah for sure and then obviously hospice care and then, correct and there's other other resources out there that you know because you want to keep because who wants to come back Well, and a
2: lot of times we find that for readmissions, it's someone needs to move on to the next level. They need to have a palliative care or a hospice discussion because they really aren't in a place where they want to continue treatment, but maybe the family wasn't ready or they weren't ready to have that. And so it's moving them into that place because that's where they need to be to stop those readmissions.
0: Right. You know, so how important is palliative care, you know, to you guys? Because you obviously... Or utilize it. You guys have a program here um, at the hospital, you know. I think a lot. I think I've heard it said that palliative care doesn't make money, but it saves a lot of money. Um, You know, especially for hospitals and you know, and and then through hospice and all those things. Um, How important is that system for you guys?
1: Well, I see it as a as a bridge between the hospital, home, and or hospice. To me, they're the, the bridge. Right. And they can bring up the tough questions that need a lot of time.
0: Mm. You know,
1: the, the families and the patients need a lot of time to be able to, to go through all the specifics of what's going on.
0: Yeah.
1: So that's how I see them as the bridge, and they're vital. Yeah. They're vital. They can also bring good recommendations for pain relief, mm-hmm. you know, and those two things are just absolutely vital for families that are in that situation. Yeah,
0: Absolutely. Yeah, that's great.
2: I really wish that our physicians used our palliative care program more. I wish that they were more willing to have a lot of those difficult conversations. I really think that palliative care, even when patients are choosing to continue treatment, could really extend their quality of life, not mm-hmm. just the quantity mm-hmm. of their life.
0: Yeah, and that's something you have to think about. And, you know, I'm sure you guys help steer that. You help you know, push mm-hmm. what you feel is right because you see this every day, all day
2: unfortunately there's still that stigma when you start to talk about palliative care and hospice a lot of people start saying oh you just want us to give up and I really wish again that people would also become more educated about palliative care and understand that again it's about quality of life and they're there to really help manage pain or to manage nausea or to help you work through those goals
0: of care Mm -hmm. yeah yeah because somebody may not be necessarily ready for hospice but that palliative care conversation maybe be huge uh, to get them going to that next level, or say, hey, you know what? I want to be able to go out and wash my car. Right. You know. Well, we're gonna give you help. Right. We'll How are we right- gonna get there? How do we get to you to that point? You know, to to have that goal, um, and then when you need hospice care down the road, it's there. Okay. You know, it's not gonna be a shock to you. You're gonna understand it. So, I think that's great. You guys do amazing work here. Um, You guys are a very busy hospital. You know, you guys are, there's a lot of people here in the Charleston area. (laughs) So you guys see a lot of things. And thank you so much for your work. Thank you. Thank you for your dedication. Um, You really touch lives every single day. And, you know, like you said earlier, Karen, you know you, you want to help people. You, wanna, you know, Paula, you obviously want to help people. You wouldn't be doing what you're doing for Mm-mm. 35 years. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> you would have got out a long time ago. <laughs> uh,
1: absolutely. Yeah. Well,
0: thank you so much. And thanks for being on the podcast. We really appreciate it. Well,
1: thank thank you. you. Thank you for the
0: opportunity. Just a couple of announcements. Every single month on the first Monday of the month, we have an event called the Community Leadership Assembly you are invited especially if you're an assisted living administrator or skilled facility administrator and a social worker you can earn up to three ceu credits at this event you'll hear from a couple different speakers and we're going to provide lunch for only ten dollars you don't want to miss it so make sure you come to 1626 on maine in columbia south carolina you won't regret it also if you'd be so kind to write a review for the ltc university podcast Give us a five-star rating. We would really appreciate it. We'd love for you to check us out on social media. You can go find us at LTC University on Facebook and at LTC University on Instagram and Twitter as well. Thanks so much. We appreciate you. Thanks for listening. Let's continue to learn together. Have a great day.